Roy Jenkins, you don't rarely expect to win this seat, do you? I'm going to fight this seat in order to win. If, as um, I, I assume from their mind at the moment, the Social Democrats, when I meet them on Thursday evening, decide to adopt me as their candidate. This is our Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Everest, a project which is taking its toll on one of us. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've lost my voice. So, uh, yeah. you know, some some may say that's a good thing. Some may, uh, some may, some may think I sound sexier than usual. It, well. Some may say I sound even sexier than usual <laughs> like you for well, example well i might say that no um, I, I, I sound like sean dyche we should um delve into a old television program that we've watched on youtube for no discernible mm-hmm. reason nationwide yeah it was a blue day today which means it was your pick and you chose nationwide specifically nationwide from the 8th of june 1981. Yes. A fine time to be alive. Well, I mean, I would have liked uh, an earlier one um, with... Uh, what, a Mitchell Moore? A Mitchell Moore, yeah. A Lawley. Well, that, I think that Sue Lawley might have still been doing this at the time, just not this particular one. But uh, actually, they're extremely rare because Nationwide was a news programme. It was routinely taped over. And the BBC thought there were only a handful uh, in existence. And then a few years ago, not 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 so long ago, uh, it came to light that there was in fact a private collection of over five hundred episodes of it from the seven from was the nineteen seventies. Was it from the Monkhouse collection? Um, I can't. I, it didn't specify where it came from, but apparently they're all they're all safely in the hands of the BFI now. So. Uh, that they'll, is good they'll news. look after them, but this is. It is it, fair to say that the BBC's um, approach to some of its archiving is probably close to being a national scandal. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, definitely, um, it was routine. There is the the well known story of um, when they were going to delete not only but also in the 1960s and Peter Cook found out about this and went to them and said look I'll buy you a new tape Um, you know (laughs) I'm I'm wealthy enough now I can afford this and they said no (laughs) wiped it anyway well but um, yeah yeah. by by the early 1970s the policy had loosened a little bit and it tended to be that they kept um Everything bar sort of news and current affairs things, which were still considered disposable. Nobody, I think, um, yeah. thought, oh, well, in 40 years' time, somebody's going to want to drive Some their friends. 
to a nervous breakdown <laughs> by making them watch repeated episodes of this. Which is where the home tapers came in. Yeah, God so, love yeah them. so I mean, this one obviously June 9, by June 1981, um, home video recorders were starting to get increasingly into people's houses. Uh, I think this is a, um, again, another theme that will continue to rear its head throughout this podcast. The mighty Frank Boff presides. The mighty and recently late, if there's such a thing yes. as recently late. Um, yeah. Yeah, died, what, week before last? Last week? I don't know. Uh, it's so difficult to, in these turbulent, as as we are contractually obliged to say, as anyone who says anything in, in public, yeah. in these turbulent times, yeah. it's hard to remember exactly. But yeah, Frank Boff expired... Not so long ago. Yeah, good age, good age, fair play to him. And, I, and such is the extent to which people who reached maturity in the nineteen fifties and sixties prematurely aged. Um, <laughs> it kind of surprising in a way to know that he was still alive until twenty twenty. You know, you don't look at. Frank Boff in June 1981 and think there's a guy who's still going to be alive in 40 years time. I'm just looking it up to see how old Frank Boff was in 1981. Is he he going to be younger Um, than me? More or less exactly the same age actually. He was 48. No, I'm 48. 48. No, no, well, he was 48. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, the thing is... That I shouldn't be angry about that because that reflects quite well upon me. He looks like my bloody dad. And I think that your dad has actually got grounds to take umbrage well, at that, even even yeah, today. My, my dad's what? He's uh, eighty four now. My dad definitely looks better than Frank Boff. He's got more hair than yeah, Frank Boff. He has. The first story that we are led into with Nationwide, as you say, it was a, a, the, a, the preeminent news magazine programme. It was like the one show for people who could read. Well, it's a strange old bird. And the episode that we're watching is even more unusual uh, because Nationwide's calling card was that it would cut away to a regional news show. So, yeah, this um, is the southeast. Yeah, but but um, the thing is that at the time in 1981, London and the southeast didn't have its own news department in the same way that the rest of the country did. So they just kind of used the nationwide studio and just you know tried to carry on as though nothing was happening. This is a London and southeast edition, but there there's there's there was no. London regional news at the time, and the addition of um, of Watchdog that you would have been seeing would have been very different if you'd been living in another part of the country at the time. It would have cut away for like twenty minutes, you know, and then come back. Yeah. So it it was a very different a, a very different um, program to what you might kind of expect. I think the first story is about the falling pound. 
Yeah. Our sinking pound as the um as the board in the background shrieks. I quite like the fact that they they didn't sugarcoat it. They got um an analyst in and said, "Should should we be concerned about this?" and he went, "Yep." No, I mean, <laughs> you know, Yes, our money, our money is inflating like a dead dog in the noonday. Yeah, summer. I mean, let's get a um, you know a bit of perspective on this. I did some research. Would you believe? <gasps> I know, right? Uh, because quite aside from anything else, I've been off work sick today, so you know. Um, on the first of January, there were two dollars forty-two to a pound. Um, okay. On this date, the eighth of June, that's fallen to a dollar ninety-five, and it actually bottomed out in February nineteen eighty-five at uh, one dollar and four cents. To a pound, the symbolic collapse uh, of this country's economy being visualised through going below parity with the dollar. So it was a, it was a, it, it was a, 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 a worrying time for a lot of people. The, the Conservatives have been in power for two years, and. They didn't seem to be doing a great job of it. And uh, actually, when we come on to... (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. But we'll we'll come back to that later on, because we'll be... This this episode will swing back to politics after the money stuff. There was a time when tennis was a peaceful summer sport played in a gentlemanly way on English lawns the noisiest part of which was the munching of strawberries and cream afterwards. But the modern game is about power and commitment, and the effort involved is often all too audible. But it's not just the men. Some of tennis's ladies have been heard straining on court, players like Romania's Virginia Ruzic, who now finds it all a bit too much. But the nationwide award for grunting must go to the American Jimmy Connors, who over the years has made the grunt an essential accompaniment to the art of serving. Game Connors. The scourge of grunting in tennis was becoming a big issue. Now, obviously, I am a tennis fan, and I had to chuckle at some of the examples that they gave. Because yeah, oh my God, if, yeah. if they if they think that's bad, they had dragged fresh from the Queen's Club that that afternoon, Mark yeah. Cox. Yeah, well, literally fresh from the Queen's Club because he's still got his tennis stuff on. Well, yeah, we quickly <laughs> found a... out why he was called Mark Cox because um, yeah, those shorts eight. those shorts those... left absolutely nothing <laughs> to the imagination. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely, I drew a little uh, um, a little drew a pair of eyes and moustache on it. <laughs> He 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 was worried um, that it's being coached into young players, which I think it probably yeah. was. Probably was, yeah, because it's a sport, and you know, and yeah. What was weird about it was that he described it as intimidating. Um, yeah, I mean, well, a then okay, yeah, people are going to coach that, 
aren't they? You know, if you can be intimidating, put it in, impose your presence onto the tennis court in what is a very psychological battle. Everybody knows that about Well, tennis. yeah. I think his particular bugbear was grunting when you were in uh, in rallies at the net, which obviously doesn't really happen anymore. The, the tennis has evolved into being a baseline game. Yeah. So that everyone can just wail away at the back walloping the ball harder I mean this is the thing there's the technology and the general um, fitness of the players and the sports science has come on so far in the last 39 years yeah these players are all hitting the ball twice as hard as Mark Cox could ever imagine yeah yeah and uh, the I mean the other interesting thing about the he seemed to believe it less and less as he went on yeah I think Mark Cox had probably made he'd made an offhand remark about yeah. grunting, and all of a sudden, push yeah, has come yeah, to shove, yeah. and he's sat opposite Frank Boff yeah. wearing a the, pair of shorts. Yeah, the, the 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 face and voice of remaining weirdly silent <laughs> during a tennis match, completely silent. <laughs> what you want is a player who absorbs sound. He actually. Yeah. Makes minus sound, but as like I say, as the interview proceeded, he he just seemed less and less convinced by his own argument. It felt a bit like maybe it was the thir- first time he'd actually thought about it beyond "I don't like it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now of course nowadays in this day and age, you could get a you know four year presidential term out of that initial thought. Well, yeah. But in I mean, 1981, it, it, I think people were expected to have a little bit more in the tank behind. Oh, I don't really like it. Yeah, it would have been much better if he'd just gone on there and just gone. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like Why it, Frank. Yeah. Do you like my Why, shorts, Frank? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Just don't. I don't, know. I don't have to yeah. have a reason. Why do I have to have a reason? Yeah, I'm not justifying myself to you, you yeah. bald-headed bastard. You bloody bald-headed pervert. <laughs> Every year, the list of awards open to the stars of stage and screen seems to get longer and longer, and sometimes it can be quite hard to remember just who's won which award and for what. But this year, one success has meant a bit more to us on Nationwide. The award was the Pi Television Personality of the Year, and it was won by Mr. Fred Housko. Now, Fred's meteoric rise, of course, began when he won Mastermind last year, but he quickly showed that encyclopedic knowledge was not his only talent. And tonight, we've decided to give you a second chance to see the conducted tour of London that Fred gave to James Hogg earlier this year. Right. We've danced around it enough. Fred Housko. Well, actually, right, okay. So, uh, all right, well, let's just go in with the backstory. It's not very complicated. He was a cabbie and he won Mastermind. He won Mastermind 1980 with the specialist subject, the Tower of London. Taxis, oh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Driving 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 a taxi. The knowledge was his specialist subject. (laughs) Yeah, Fred Housego, who has just won the 1981 Pi television... uh, personality of the year it's a good prize he has he takes a nationwide reporter on a tour of london but i i would argue it's actually one of the more limited tours of london i've ever seen because it seemed to me like he took him to one place and one place only i completely zoned out during this section (laughs) it was too long it was boring (laughs) it was about 
fucking churches and law chambers and stuff. And I was, I was just yeah. within about two or three minutes of it. I was like, why, why? Well, what, they went. They, yeah, they went to the temple, middle temple hall, the temple church. And uh, Fred had all kinds of fascinating nuggets, presumably fascinating for someone. Yeah, yeah. Him. Him. Specifically. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't a new no, uh, insert. I believe it was a repeat. repeat. Yeah. yeah. And it went on for about 10 minutes. But it, like... it's fair to say that Fred Housego has, um, it, since winning Mastermind, has undergone quite a rise from, you know, mere clued-up cabbie to television personality of the year. Well, it says something about <laughs> the class system in this country. <laughs> yeah. That if a working-class person wins mastermind, hmm. then they're treated like they should be in a zoo or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, uh, And it was. That's what it was at the time. It's like... He's a taxi driver, and he won Mastermind. I thought I thought all taxi drivers did was say racist stuff to the people in the back of the taxi and eat bacon sandwiches. I think the class system very much has a, a large bearing on this, and and the class system has a large bearing on the next item in this episode of Nationwide, the. Warrington by-election. Yes, the Warrington by-election. Roy Jenkins. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit odd because the actual by-election date is still about six weeks away. The The actual election date was the 16th of July, so it was very, a bit odd. Yeah. That, um, well, it was weird that, I mean, I think the story was that Roy Jenkins was seeking to stand... Yeah, yeah, in the by-election. I mean, that seems like they're cutting it a little bit fine. Um, but the the issue there is obviously you've got the gang of four who've broken away from the Labour Party, yeah, and formed the Social Democratic Party, yes, um, later known as the Social Democratic Liberal Party in nineteen eighty seven for fans of British politics. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think it's important to bear in mind that the government wasn't popular at the time, you know. No. If you listen to Thatcherites, um, they will tell you that she was swept home in a, in a glorious victory and that the 1980s belonged to her. Well, you know, I took the liberty of looking at some opinion polls. You know, why not, eh? And, <laughs> uh, well... On the 5th of June, 1981, an opinion poll was held. And it showed uh, the Conservatives on 37.7%, Labour on 39.3%, wow. and the Liberals on 208 I mean, this would be Liberal SDP. I think they were counting them together. That's, well, that's by then. a pretty notable poll result. When you consider... Because Labour were more or less completely unelectable at that point. Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh, the, the 1983 general election uh, was when they scored, uh, I think Labour got some, I know this because I did this when I did government and politics um, 30 years ago. Um, I think Labour scored something like 27.7% of the general election in 1983, something like that. And mm. of course, 
their manifesto uh, for that election was famously described as the longest suicide note in history. Yeah. Um, But the Conservatives' polling didn't really rise until the following year. Now, there was an opinion poll held on the 12th of April 1982, which put the Conservatives on 31.5%. Yeah. And by the 26th of May 1982, they were polling 51%. Falklands. Yep. 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 Um, so, you know, that's that's what happened with that. And, and did you look up the result of the Warrington by-election? I did. I, did. I looked into it. Um, the, the the sitting in, uh, incumbent, who was a Labour MP, had uh, been appointed to be a High Court judge. Yeah. Um, and in his place, it was contested between Doug Hoyle of the Labour Party and, and Roy Jenkins of the SDP. And Doug Hoyle won. Uh, he polled 14,280 votes uh, for a majority over Roy Jenkins of 1,759. Yes. With a 67% turnout, so so close to a 69% yeah. turnout. Ah, oh, very, very. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they did mention, those. if you look at those numbers and they look kind of low, they did mention that Warrington was the smallest constituency yeah. in the country 44,000 was the election yeah it's not really very big I would like to give shout outs to a couple of the other parties that stood there were a number of very yeah. notable parties yeah, yeah. to the uh, Citizens Band Radio Party who <laughs> polled 111 votes 10-4 um, good buddy yeah 10-4 good buddy um, and to the Campaign for a More Prosperous Britain uh, who uh, polled 10 votes. Yeah. Um, they were actually set up... Uh, I found I found out a little bit about them as well. They were actually formed in 1974 as some sort of plan to try and split the Labour Party. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, how much does well, it... Has it always cost the same, uh, an electoral deposit? Um... I don't know how much it cost in 1981. I imagine anyway. there's been a certain amount of inflation applied, but I, I yeah, think, you think, relatively speaking, probably yes. You know, in terms of overall affordability. Yeah, I would. Well, guess. you know, anyway, divide that cost by ten, and that's how much each vote cost him. And of course, you got to bear in mind that one of those would have been in voting for himself. Well, it's difficult to believe that there are only nine other people in. Uh, Warrington, who wanted a more prosperous Britain, <laughs> didn't he know nine people? Did he not even know more than nine people? I mean, I reckon, <laughs> I reckon that I could stand in Worthing, and I could get more than nine people to stand for me, to, to vote for me. I reckon. Well, there's yeah. only one way to find out, I guess. I mean, if you, if I, like, you know, everyone at work, there's what hundred and something people at work where I work, hundred and sixty yeah, yeah. something like that. But yeah, how many of those people would those. actually vote for you? I think most of them don't, you know, don't vote on the whole. There's a lot of young people at my <laughs> oh, work. Oh, the people, A lot of people in their 20s. And, and a lot of them just don't, don't fucking bother. But I, if, I was to, if I was to turn out, I reckon I'd have a... Ch- I certainly think I could get more than 10. It's not Christ. a high... It's not a high target. It's not a high bar, is no. it? it would, you know... 
when they when they came to the interview with Roy Jenkins afterwards, which I think was the kind of sort of you know the showcase piece for the yeah. program for the program, wasn't it? He just sounded completely deluded. Yeah, um, he, he said, "If we win Warrington, we'll sweep the country, a hundred and fifty yeah. to two hundred seats." Well, yeah. for number one, that's a very bold prediction, and, and number two, two hundred seats isn't enough to win, is it, Roy? Not in well, a no, general I, election. Well, no, I mean, I think he meant 150 to 200 seat majority. Oh, well, if he meant it's that, what I he's, think he he's meant. lost his goddamn mind. Yeah, I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what I assumed, <laughs> what I assumed he meant was 150 to 200 seat majority, which is why all I've written down here is just sounds completely deluded. The final segment of the show was an insert, uh, and it was Watchdog before Watchdog was its own thing. Yeah, this is how Watchdog started. Watchdog started uh, as a nationwide insert in 1980. Okay. And uh, it then graduated, because Nationwide, uh, actually not long for this earth, as it goes nationwide. No, I think another point. another year and it was gone. Yeah, it went in August 1983 and was replaced by a programme called 60 Minutes, which I'm going to have a look. I'm going to see if I can find an episode of 60 Minutes because 60 Minutes was um, a disaster of a programme. <laughs> and it only ran for about eight months and they hoiked it off the air. It's that classic BBC thing where they get rid of an established programme that's been running for 15 years. Yeah. And go, well, you wait until you see what we're going to replace it with. And they replace yeah. it and it's absolute tosh. Yeah, it's cack. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute garbage. Yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly it. I mean, I'm too young to remember that. Obviously, I mean, I was, you know, uh, I, I was eleven by this point. You weren't you weren't the the yeah. prime audience for Nationwide. No, but I mean, it was the failure, I think, of um, of sixty minutes, which led to what we have now. I think still in the BBC. I don't know. I don't even. I don't really watch TV news anymore. Um, but this kind of half an hour local news, half an hour national news, um, yeah, followed on from this in about 1984, I think. So, but um, yeah, the, uh, yeah. At this yeah. time, Watch- Watchdog was 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 just part of um, was was part of Nationwide, and there he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scully. Yeah, Monkey Frankenstein. Monkey Frankenstein, yeah. He is, I don't know, he is a kind of odd-looking bloke, isn't he? Oh, he's Uh, he's he's all Scully, and I can't... He's utterly compelling to look at, though. He's not unpleasant to look at. I could look at him all day. Like like a, a painting in an art gallery. I could just stand there thinking about it for an hour. Just looking. He's got something of the. He's got something of the gargoyle about him. (laughs) Something of the gargoyle about him. I can say that he's dead. I can. The watchdogs. The watchdog stories um, were about (laughs) an an unsolicited mailer from Leisure Arts of Norwich, basically pulling. Pulling the oldest, the oldest trick in the book. You've you've been selected to win so this, that, or the other, and mad old women write off for it, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and receive a letter from a man who it later turns out doesn't exist. Yeah, and um, then when they 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 contacted 
um, the Lord. Yeah, Lord Redsdale. Yeah, a Lord who was like one of the directors of it. And his answer is, well, it's very common for people to not exist in this sort of business. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that's all right then. Yeah. Well, one of the directors of Leisure Arts is Lord Redsdale of the famous Mitford family, whose motto is, God careth for us. We got in touch with him in his Geneva office. I'm happy with the operation of the great lucky draw. But did Lord Redsdale know that Leisure Arts is sending letters from someone who doesn't exist? In mail-order schemes, it's quite common to use the name of someone who doesn't exist. Leisure Arts say that everyone is a winner, like Sally Hardwick, who won a cabin cruiser. We checked when she won. Not this year, not last year, or even the year before. She won in 1974. So one of their winners they're still publicising is from seven years ago. Although Leisure Arts say that in the last three years they've paid out £30,000. Jim Ball of Abergavenny has also won a prize. Not the car or the TV, but one of the thousands of gifts. He told us... Have a look at the magnificent World Atlas, awarded as my gift. It's here. Not perhaps the most generous of atlases. Worth, they tell us, 35 pence. I'm just going to quickly have a look up here. When trading standards were set up in the first place. Yeah, I think it may have been directly in response to Leisure Arts of Norwich. 1987, the Consumer Protection Act. Blimey. Um, Yeah, but but, I mean, before that, I think it was a bit more of free-for-all. You know, there was some sort of scams going on all the time. Bloody wild But of course, it was a... It was a different type of scam, though, wasn't it? That's the thing. Because, I mean, the internet makes it easy to mass mail 40 million people at one go. It's true. But back in the days of somebody wanted to scam you, they either had to meet you face-to-face or send you a letter. Yeah. So it was a a bit trickier to do, I suppose. I absolutely loved the tiny atlas. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> that's that's the smallest atlas I've ever seen in my life. It was it was no more than three inches high. No more than three inches. I mean, how high. much how much of the world could they possibly have got in that book? Yeah, well, how much detail? <laughs> that it was that was fabulous. I'm glad that that bloke got 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 cheated because if how much, did, did they say how much he paid for it? I don't know. Because he said it was worth 35p. <laughs> 35p was a lot of money, you know. I don't know. I didn't catch whether how much he'd actually paid for it, whether he paid like 40 quid or something for this thing. Um, I mean, I, I usually encourage people not to watch it. You usually encourage people to watch these programmes, but it is worth watching this programme just to see how small... This it, world is tiny, it is a tiny atlas. It is a tiny atlas. It's very difficult believe, to believe that you could fit the whole world into that book. It's difficult to believe but. you could fit anything into it. The second story is about a brass band in Brighouse, Yorkshire, <laughs> yeah. who are running into trouble with the locals because they're not allowed to play anywhere. They were called the Northern Skyriders Drum Corps. I don't want to sound like I'm being rude about the Northern... Skyriders drum corps, but who sets up a marching band without anything anywhere for it to practice? 
Yeah. It, it does don't lack you... foresight, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, don't you sort that out first? I mean, all right, okay, if it's like a, you know, a guitar band or something, and you're not going to take up that much space, and you can do it in someone's living room if need be. Yeah. But it's a fucking marching band. I think, it's going to take up half a football pitch. That's I, what they do. I think the compromise should have been reached where they could practice playing in a marching band as long as they didn't have their instruments. Yeah, uh, yeah, they could, they could, they could practice as a marching band, but only if they did it in the style of the band in Oh Happy Band. <laughs> they all have to roll up a piece of cardboard and yeah, blow yeah, through yeah. that and make trumpet noises. I'd have been quite happy to watch that, definitely. This is Brighouse, isn't it? They were talking about. Yeah, and Brighouse, of course, home of the Brighouse and Rastrick Brass Band, who went yeah. to, I think, number one. In the charts with their version of the floral dance, you do have to wonder about about the um, Northern Skyriders drum corps deciding to form a marching band in the same town. Yeah, interlopers as as one of the more uh, <laughs> n- notorious and <laughs> successful yeah marching bands they, in the country. Yeah. Yeah, they then move on to a bloke who owns a hamburger joint, yeah. and uh, he's going bust because he can't get can't claim his VAT back because they put a new um, new computer system in. Yeah, and all right, fair enough. But they did show him standing outside that hamburger joint, and I have to tell you, I would not eat in that hamburger joint. <laughs> It looked no. like the worst hamburger place in Britain. Yeah, it um, was. It was a sad. It was a sad sight to see. I mean, there were some stories of people who weren't getting their money back, which is, you know, it is a legitimate grievance. And oh yeah, it obviously, is. one of the wildcat strikes that they mentioned earlier in the news portion of the program could probably yeah. had had a large bearing yeah. on on this. Uh, there was yeah, but it was it was very difficult to have a great deal of sympathy for old Gary Boiled Burgers. Because, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the, you know, you just I just looked at his cafe, his place, and thought, would I really be that concerned if that place closed down? I mean, I know we've I've, I've touched on this somewhere before. It's difficult to get your head round how bad food was in this country in 1981. Mm. The best way to do it, actually, is just to get yourself onto YouTube, find a year in the early 1980s, and watch some TV ads, and look at the state of the food. Yeah. Yeah? And this is the stuff, like, that they're producing for adverts, you know? <clears throat> this is the stuff that they're producing to go, look, look at this. Oh, it looks really delicious. But it fucking doesn't. Place looks like a plate of vomit, <laughs> and um, and we just couldn't do it, you know. Mm. And and it really took then by the end of the nineteen eighties, things were substantially better. But I tell you what, in nineteen eighty one, I bet you a pound to a penny, he was boiling those hamburgers. And if he wasn't boiling the hamburgers, he would have been boiling the onions. Over the last year on Watchdog, we've often said we'll keep you informed about the people we feature like Alan Emery, who'd waited over a year for an artificial limb. Well, he told us, 
I'm on my second leg and waiting for a third to be made for a perfect fit, but the service I'm now receiving is excellent. But Stanley Reynolds has not won a fortune. He spent up to £1,000 a month on spotting the ball contest with his scientific scheme. He's now spending his money elsewhere on competitions, he says, that give him a better chance. Hugh rounds Watchdog off with a story about a waiting list for wooden legs. Oh, uh, well, yeah. and a man and a man who spent a thousand pounds a month on spot the ball. How how is that even possible? I tell you what, that bloke should be given that atlas as a reward. Well, neither of those stories make any sense because they show the bloke with one leg, and his leg, one of his legs, is about a foot longer than the other one. <laughs> and I don't want to laugh. Oh, I don't want God. to laugh at somebody who's lost their leg, but <laughs> it's, it's like a he, he he walks like a man, like a it's like a puppet. Yeah. just going around in a circle. Yeah, and the spot the ball guy. Was, yeah, he's losing. He's spending a thousand pounds a month, and I thought a thousand pounds as well in nineteen eighty one. Yeah. After the first month, <laughs> wouldn't you the think... First, the, the first month, you go, oh, well. The second uh, month, your wife's left you. Well, uh, this is... I mean, this episode is from the 8th of June. Yeah. So, presumably, he's been doing it, like, all season. Yeah. He's, you know, he's even entering just, in, in close yeah. season. Football season's just finished, and he's been doing this all season. As a whatever, and there's a brilliant photograph of him <laughs> holding up a newspaper with one hand and looking at it with a magnifying glass with the other one. <laughs> mm. Oh my god! Oh dear! With a sad look on his face, it's a it's a definite angry people in local newspapers face. Yeah, <laughs> a thousand quid a month in nineteen eighty-one. Jesus. But that that was that was uh, nationwide. That was Watchdog, and that was nationwide. Frank returns briefly to tell us that in tomorrow's nationwide, which, to be honest, I quite like to have seen tomorrow's nationwide, uh, reveals the ingredients of the royal wedding cake. I'm guessing right. eggs, sugar, flour. Spices, probably. I don't know. What else? Fruit? In 1981? Well, it's a royal wedding cake as well. So that oh, royal wedding cake. Might, might be... Marzipan? Marzipan, definitely. Swan, definitely. A fine layer of swan marzipan. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? Foie gras. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most yeah. disgusting of the foods in every way. <laughs> Yeah. Um I was just looking up the average wage in 1981. Oh, good grief. <laughs> the average wage in 1981 was 140 quid a week gross. For fuck's sake. So 7 grand a year, give or take. <laughs> just over and 7 this, grand. And this bloke spending uh, 12 grand a year. Yeah, this silly old fucker spending 12 grand a year on spot the ball <laughs> because he's got a system. <laughs> Nationwide <laughs> thinks that's a news story. Uh, the news story isn't that he's giving up doing it. Yeah. Hugh Scully. Get a fucking grip on this story, mate. The news story is that he's been spending 
one and a half times the average national salary on Spot the Ball. The news story is that there are people (laughs) out in the community who are allowed to do this to themselves. Why didn't they interview his poor wife? Oh, she's long gone by now. She's she's left. (laughs) Actually, yeah. Uh, right, quid a month and spot the ball. Let's uh, let's quickly establish our best, worst, and most lasting memories from uh, okay. this episode. Best thing is the tiny atlas. <laughs> <laughs> Getting in there first with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. You can't argue with the tiny atlas. <laughs> the the worst. It's bit. so small. <laughs> it really is very very small. <laughs> It's not like it's small, but it's it's no. thick and it's got loads no, of pages. It's like a, it's like a tiny pamphlet. <laughs> the worst bit, um, the worst <laughs> bit is um, was 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 Fred Elsko. Uh, I don't I don't really care about what happens in churches and historic buildings or whatever unless I'm there, you know. I've been to a lot of historic buildings, you know, especially this last, you know, two or four, not this year, but, you know, last year and the year before, and what have you. I've been all over the place. Well, and, as befits um, your role as a hiking guy. Yeah, as a, you know, as a hiking guy, which I am. Um, well, was, not at the moment. <laughs> I've only, I, haven't been, I haven't been further with boys' school today, and that's only a five-minute walk. Mm-hmm. Right? But um, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I don't get why that was why that was slung in, and, and you start to wonder. Well, hang on, did they have something else that was ready to go, and there was something wrong with it or something? I don't know. It's not like there was a shortage of news in the summer of nineteen eighty one. It's true. The thing that will stay with me the longest is definitely just still the tiny atlas. <laughs> but also... <laughs> but also, the guy who spent a grand a month on Spot the Bull. Because I would not be surprised if he saw that episode. <laughs> but just before he gets to his bit, he's like, oh, new competition, eh? <laughs> I think I'm sure that might have a chance of winning something. Yeah, I think that my, my favourite bit was... Then ends, up, then ends up with a tiny atlas. My favourite bit was was Watchdog. Uh, I thought that there, there were so... There were so many things in there that in themselves should have had an hour-long current oh, affairs yeah, programme yeah, about. Yeah. I'd, I'd have liked to have a guided tour of that guy's hamburger bar. Oh yeah, I would. I want to see everything about could have, the. Could have, could have, could have killed an hour with that. I, and I want to know um, all about the man who spends all the money on spot the ball. Yeah. I, I want to yeah, know wanna, how the I man with one leg, one foot longer than the other, because the NHS yeah. can't get a wooden leg sorted out. Yeah, deals yeah. with could, life. Couldn't he, couldn't he just? Have, couldn't he have just sawn the bottom bit off himself? Or does it not work like that? I don't really know. Well. I don't know. I mean, presumably. I mean, are we talking? Are we talking prosthetic limb or wooden leg? Because <laughs> if we're talking wooden leg, then yes, he can sort. Yeah, it yeah. Off. Just get someone out of a skip. Uh, yeah. The worst bit for me was actually it was a part of the watchdog. I didn't like the uh, the the RC locals in Brighouse. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. They were a right bunch of Karens and no mistake. But then again, I mean, I am sympathetic to their plight, but at the same time, they should shut their fucking mouths and let them march, you know. If you don't want to be accosted in your day-to-day life by marching bands, don't live in Brickhouse. Yeah, don't live in a town that six years earlier, five years earlier, went to number one in the charts. Yeah. And uh, I think the thing that's going to have the lasting impact on me is Mark Cox's balls. Well, yeah. Packed Um, packed (laughs) as they were inside his still warm tennis shorts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, were they tennis shorts or were they tennis wife runs? (laughs) Because there's not much. Yeah, there wasn't a lot in it back then. 1981, short shorts still ruled supreme. Yeah. But it's a real curate seg of a program, isn't it? Uh, nationwide, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's it's such a weird mixture because it jumps from like kind of quite heavy political and economic news to there's a fucking bloke who's just spunked a. <laughs> <laughs> cra- <laughs> I don't think I'll ever fully recover from that. <laughs> yeah, I think at the time when it was at its most sort of cutting and relevant is very much past oh dearie me right but yeah you but go. you know there you go job done that's quite a long podcast isn't it that I mean, well, it'll, it'll, it'll probably be edited down i'll hack it to no bits other, yeah if no no other reason than to 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 cut out the worst of my dieisms <laughs> I'm a bit worried about where this is headed. Um, I don't think I've got COVID, by the way, because I've got nothing else really wrong with me. Um, just I just feel really tired, and I've got no voice. Yeah. So, you know, providing I'm not dead by this time tomorrow, we'll be back. Damn straight. And, uh, yeah, we will. This is daily. You You don't get off that lightly. And tomorrow is... Ulysses 31. Yeah. Which I think is our first foreign entry. I believe so. There aren't many, are there? Actually, having gone down the list, there aren't there aren't no. many. I mean, we haven't but, we haven't um, specifically stipulated that it has to be British television, although obviously no, we are we British. Uh, yeah. And I I would uh, I've picked Ulysses 31 because it's a program that I remember very well from my childhood, so it has been on British television. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I you know, I don't think we should have hard and fast rules about this, uh, particularly. But it does seem to be that if we are picking out the worst television programs that we can, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that most of them are going to be British. Yeah. So, uh, you know, take 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 what you want. Makes from you that, proud to be British, that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Anyway, that'll do. Uh, that'll do us for now. We'll be back same time tomorrow, six o'clock in the evening, live, twenty minute regional opt out, and then we'll be back with Watch Dot, in which you <laughs> spend a I grand a month, spend a <laughs> spend Try, a trying to win a world atlas. <laughs> anyway, uh, that'll do us for now. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.
I was completely lost in a reverie there, thinking about that old boy spunking thousand oh. pounds a month with his magnifying glass <laughs> because he's got a system. Fucking, he's got a system for spot the ball. Where the the whole point of spot the ball is that you can't see the ball. <laughs> so, does he think they've shrunk it? And that's why he needs the magnifying glass. They shrunk it to the size of a world atlas.